this morning we God is putting on our heart and we God would ask us the question yes in Psalm 110 and verse 1 and a score of other scores of other scriptures Acts 2 34 and 35 Hebrews 1 12 13 scores of other scriptures Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. What that is, of course, we know is he is seated and our place is our position in Christ as he is seated in the heavens above everything. So obviously he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And at that point, he is waiting in terms of a throne of his own to be on earth. And this brings in millennial reign. Millennial reign scriptures are just to name a few. Uh, they have to do with Psalm 2, 1 through 12. You'll see this in, in Isaiah 11, 1 through 16. You'll see it in, in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and scores of other scriptures. So he will have his throne on the earth. But right now, we were asked this question, is where is, does Christ have a throne right now, and where is it? And the answer, of course, is he is that he is enthroned in our hearts. And we said, that's what a king does. Now we know at the end of the seven-year tribulation of which the church in Revelation 3 and verse 10 does not go through based upon 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and in John 3 and verse 36. We know that clearly the church does not go through it. The word in Revelation 3, 10, is not, is not the Greek word dia, D-I-A, which means through, but it's at, out of, and that speaks of the rapture. We see that in its place in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, and we see it in Revelations 4 and verse 1. We don't go through the tribulation, period. But we do come back with him we do come back with him when he does. In Revelations, the 19th chapter, you can see in verse 16, who is he? He's the king of king, kings and the Lord of lords. That's going to be established on the earth. And so prophecy is leading up to this point all through the old covenant and right into the new here, that God will make himself known. Every eye will see him in Revelations 1.7. They which also pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth will wail because of him. And of course, now every eye is going to see him. He is going to rule and reign. God will be known on this earth. But who are the people, even now, who know him intimately as he's enthroned in their hearts? And that's Christ. His ruling and reigning. Now, what does the king do? He rules and he reigns. That's what he does. Is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lords of lords, is he ruling in our hearts right now? In other words, is he in control of every thought, word, decision, every single thing about us? Is he himself in control? Because if it's not, then everything we do will be about self and self alone. That's why it says in Philippians uh, 2 and verse 3, esteem others better than yourself. 
Philippians 2, 4 says, look not on your own things, uh, on your own things, but on the things of others. And the Philippians 2, 5 is to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, again, who didn't consider his deity something to be grasped at all times and to be made manifest, as those verses bring out in the original, in Philippians 2, 6, but he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, the things in heaven, of course, the things on the earth and the things under the earth, even in hell itself and even in the lake of fire, his name will be confessed and every knee will bow. And that's what the servants do. They come into the presence of the king and they bow. That's what we do in humility. So Christ does come back and we come back with him. And again, in Revelation, the 19th chapter and verses 11 to 16, we come back with him. And uh, he sets up his kingdom. He, first he deals with uh, all his enemies. Uh, Satan is, is, is chained and put in the, uh, the abyss and he's there for a thousand years for Christ to rule and reign and we rule and reign with him being married to him as his bride in Revelation 19 verses 7 and 9 we rule and reign with him because we're his bride now where is he enthroned right now? He's enthroned in our hearts right now. And of course, when he's not, and when we forget him, then the flesh instantly rules and reigns over us. And those where this is where we get all those lust patterns. And the enemy, through those lust patterns, convinces us that we need these things to be happy while we're on the earth. That's what we need. When, of course, in Philippians 4 and verse 19, my God will supply all your singular need, it says, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thereby, we can do all things through, through Christ, which makes us mighty and powerful in Philippians 4 and verse 13. And this is where, it, when he's enthroned in our heart, when he himself is enthroned in our heart, no other treasure can take his place because Christ in us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he is that treasure that's in these fragile clay jars. And that's why it says in Matthew 6, 19 uh, to 21, that we need to store up treasures in heaven. <laughs> and you can't do that in, unless Christ is enthroned in our heart. Being in control of every thought, word, deceit, uh, uh, decision, every single thing about us. If he is not in control of us, the flesh controls us. It does. So we know that. Moth and rust doesn't corrupt the treasure that Christ is. And that's why it says in Matthew 6 and verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your whole mindset be after. What that means there in Matthew 6 and verse 21 is brought out 
in Genesis 6 and verse 5 and in Genesis 8 and verse 21. The whole thought of man, it says, was only evil continually. You think of the unsaved, those that don't, aren't born again, those that don't have uh, Christ in them and them in Christ positionally, their whole life, their whole thought, their whole purpose, their whole design about living on the earth has to do with themselves and its evil continually. Now, when we, being positioned in Christ through salvation, when we forget him, who takes over? What takes over us? It's the flesh. I, as long as I have had the gracious privilege to be able to study and look over the Bible for some 48 years, I have been taught by God the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ, the word, and shows them unto us, I've seen very clearly that there is no difference to the evil that's in the flesh that we're not of than from the unsaved. There's no difference. We either live for Christ or we live for the flesh. It's just that simple. And there is no gray area in it. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he that is not with me is what? Against me. Is the flesh against Christ that, that, that we can function in even though we're not of it? In Romans 8, verse 7, yes, without a question about it. Without a question about it. This is what makes necessary for us to understand and, and have crystal clear teaching of the finite reality of the difference between the flesh that lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh because they are contrary one to another and you can't do the things that you would desire. That's what it says in Galatians 5 and verse 17. You see, those are the desires. You have the desires of the flesh based upon Genesis 6 and verse 5, based upon Genesis 8 and verse 21, or those of the spirit that takes the things of Christ to show them unto us, then we have a choice to make. Will it be the flesh or will it be Christ? Which one will it be? Who's enthroned in our heart? Who is enthroned in our heart? Does he have a place to rest? Well, where does the king rest? He rests and he sits on a throne. Reason right why Christ is our king and, of course, married to him even beyond that. But he rests on a throne because he's finished the work about us. He has. He's finished it. So instead of living like the world does as Christians, <laughs> living like the world does, how does the world live without him? Well, we see it in Judges 17 and verse 6. We see it in Judges in part in Judges 18, 1 through 3, and down through. We also see it in Judges uh, uh, 21, 25. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. That's what it says. Why? You know, even God's people, Israel, after Joshua was taken home, he died. And we know Samuel hadn't come on the scene at that point. It says that they all, because they didn't have a king ruling and reigning over them, 
They didn't have a, a proper leader. And they thought they could lead themselves. They thought they could interpret the scriptures themselves. They thought they knew things without God's way in Hebrews 13, 7 and Hebrews 13, 17. Like some think today, think they can guide themselves. Think they can without God's guides. And again, Hebrews 13, 7 and Hebrews 13, 17. All they do is the unsaved or the flesh that's in us, if we function in it, has to do with its own desires. And the own desires of the unsaved and the own desires of the flesh are what? Only what continually? Evil. It's just that simple. It is that simple. And yet, yet here we are positioned in Christ. Here we are positioned in him. Oh, it's so amazing. It said a while ago, there are two things that are in us. That, and both want to be fed. It's the flesh or it's the man in Christ in us. Both are hungry and both want to be fed. No wonder it says in Psalm 37 and verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you desi your desires. Sometimes we in the flesh have fleshly desires and we pray and ask God to bless them. Big difference. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. That's the treasure that's in us. Then he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give the, the desires of your heart. What are our desires? Material things? Material blessings? One of it says in, in, in 3 John 2, he said, he said there, the Holy Spirit through the apostle, the beloved apostle John said, I have no greater joy. And he said it in verse 4 too, there. But again, so beautifully put. You know, again, it's bringing out the light yourself in the Lord who'll give you the desires of your heart. He said, I had no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Right? And, and notice what it says there. In Third John 2. Beloved, I, I, I wish above all things that, listen to what it says, that you prosper and be in good health. <laughs> it says, even as your soul prospers. How does my soul prosper without Christ being the treasure? If he's not the treasure, then I will seek the treasures of the earth. If he's not, I, apart from submitting to Jesus Christ constantly, if I, what I will do and continue to do is serve my own lust patterns. I will do that which is right in my own eyes because I will have a desire in the flesh to feed it constantly. But of course, we know the flesh never feeds, listen, the flesh never feeds on Christ. And here's the other thing. God never gives his son for the flesh to feed upon. Boy, what would that be like? What would it be like if Christ was truly experientially enthroned in our hearts? Well, where our treasure is, there were our whole thought, 
purpose, design, desire, everything about us be. Everything about us be. Oh boy. When we don't get our counsel from God, when we don't, boy, we think we know how to counsel ourselves or we think we know how to interpret others, even those that are our guides. We think we know that how to interpret them. Well, thank God that even though, thank God that in Psalm 48, verse 14, God truly is our only guide until our death. And that death there in Ecclesiastes 7, 1, for us, it's just the open door to eternity and to experience never again an interruption or a distraction from the true treasure that Christ is. That's what we're storing up. That goes in even for the believers to the Bema Seat. Again, the Bema Seat is not a place of judgment. It's not a place of dealing with sin. Sins have already been dealt with. That's crystal clear in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We all must appear before the manifestation and evaluation seat. There is no terror there. 2 Corinthians 5.11. You don't fuse those two verses. There's no terror there. No terror. There's no fear of punishment in love in 1 John 4 and verse 18. There's no kalasis. There is no torture. No. It's just an evaluation. And what is that evaluation? Well, what did we store up with the time that God gave us on the earth? Was it wood, hay, or stubble? 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, wood, humanity, stubble, no growth, no growth. So occupied with other things, there was no spiritual growth through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're too busy doing other things. Busy for God. And then hey, emotional outburst. Well, and it could be inward too. Philippians 2 and verse 14 says, do all things without murmuring. That's inward. Hey, emotions, because the thoughts aren't right. And disputing, just outright. Now, it's the flesh giving its outright counsel. <laughs> Terrible. 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 But then there's gold, silver, and precious stones, and we know. We know the gold and the silver and the precious stones. I'll tell you what those are in a way that I've never seen them before until this morning, until right now. The gold is the deity of Jesus Christ. The silver is the humanity. And all, the product, all what he produced are those precious stones. His nature, character, and essence, and all of his attributes in the most beautiful way, showing us what true control is. You know, God shows us what true control is. We know in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, there's the, there's the list of the flesh. Again, that's brought out in Matthew, the 15th chapter in verses 16 to 20, and Mark, the 7th chapter in verses 14 to 23, brought out very clearly the activity of the flesh, the treasures of the flesh, and what they are the result of versus the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what we experience when 
Christ is enthroned in our hearts. Love. Joy. You know, there's a joy, there's a love and a joy and a peace that material things can never give us. Never. As a matter of fact, any material thing, monetary thing that God gives us, and he's the source of it, no matter what we think or how we think, we are the ones that are doing it. Are meant to glorify him and not only to bless us, but to bless others. There is love, joy, and peace that bring in the long suffering and the gentleness and the goodness of, and a faith and a meekness and a temperance. Temperance there again is self control. Self under the control of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's where we enthrone him in our heart as a treasure and not the material transitory things about this world system. And again, in 1 John 2 and verse 15, this is very key. And it's key for the three that make up the local assembly in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. There are babes, they're young men and spiritual dads. I told not to love the world. You were not to love the world. What is the world? The world, the world system that's evil. Is it not? But would the enemy use the things of this world that are not evil in themselves? Sure he would. That's why it says, neither the things that are in this world, those are all the material things that are in the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any love the world and those things that the enemy will use. The love of the Father is not an operating principle in them. And these are the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh. There it is again. You see the lust of the flesh in the babes, the young men, the spiritual dads. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. You see that? What did man do without a king? Without one ruling and reigning enthroned in their hearts. Again, Judges 17 and verse 6, Judges 18, 1 through 3, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 8, Judges 21, 25, they all did what was right in their own eyes. What are the things that are in the world? The lust of the flesh. Here it is. Ooh. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The stubborn pride. Oof. It's so hard for God to separate the soul at times from the spirit in Hebrews 4.12 because this goes into Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. To separate those two so that our experience is not Galatians 5.19 to 21 but Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. <laughs> do we see that? Do I see it with you? And hopefully I do personally. There's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, self under the control of God, the Holy Spirit, bringing in the things of Christ. And against such, it says what? There is no law. What's the law there? Well, the law there is Romans 8, 2, and 3. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, here's the law that we are set free from the law of what? Sin and death. For what the law could not do that it was weak through the flesh, brought it out 
God sending his own son. And here he is, the, the likeness of, of that, of flesh, of human. The likeness, meaning no sin nature. What the law could not do, God did through his son. Through his son. And do we see this? What are our true riches today? We cannot serve two masters. Boy, we need to see this one. I understand our accountability and responsibilities. I understand what that is. Even the squirrel knows when winter's coming and it has to save up, store up its food source. But we can't serve two masters. I serve there means worship, by the way. God, God forbid, and God deliver us from the worship of the flesh. The self-made man, a woman that's always in competition with the man in Christ, or Christ in the man, cannot serve two masters. For either you will cling to one and hate the other, or hate one and cling to the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, money. That's right. Folks, can't do it. Cannot do it. Can't serve God and men. Let's close with this. We know what humility is. We've been, and we're still learning, all of us, I with you and you with me. Humility is not thinking too highly of ourselves, not thinking too lowly of ourselves, not thinking of ourselves at all. You know, when I get in God's presence, I have joy in Psalm 1611. Again, that's brought out in Galatians 5.22, love and then there's joy. What is the joy? What is the joy? It's the absence of the flesh whereby I'm free to receive his love. I'm free. And I don't live my life for myself. I don't live my life for myself. I live in the freedom. And if it says, if it says that, and we're in his presence, you ever notice when you get, and you and I, when God finally gets us through humility and through a lot of loving chastisement and times, when he finally gets us in his presence, we lose ourselves in his presence. And you know what? Instantly, who do we think of when we think with God, when we think with Christ? Who do we think with? Who do we think about? Others. That's very interesting. You see, that's seeking first the kingdom in Matthew 6 and verse 33. It's esteeming others better than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3, it's, just, it's, it's that. Seeking him first is putting others first. Isn't that interesting? I don't know. I mean, I think that's, I believe that's how Jesus lived. And he's teaching all of us, all of us, I with you and you with me how to live in perfect freedom, complete freedom. Complete, complete and utter freedom, meaning he has control over every thought, word, and deed. He, we give him the pen. We give him our hand that has the pen that writes out our planner or our schedule. We give it to him. Thereby, we're free from the constraints of that fleshly life that the enemy uses to bring in the things of this world system. Then we're free 
and then we're truly free. And I'll tell you, that freedom allows me to serve those first that are closest to me, and that's in the home. That's not just in our own homes with our own families, although it does include that, but it is the local assembly because that's the place where Christ is dwelling in those that are in the home of the local assembly. Look at what they did in, in Acts, the second chapter, all the way you get to the 41st, 41st verse. Look what they did with all their material goods, all their wealth. What did they do? They distributed it equally so that everyone had part. Oh, isn't it interesting? And of course, we can never go back to that, but we can still go forward individually with him as he's enthroned in our hearts. He's enthroned in our hearts. As we enthrone him there in our hearts, because he does have a throne. He does. And that's in our hearts right now. And of course, when we come back with him, heavenly, we come back with him, then he sets up his, his throne is set up on the earth. We see that in Revelation 20th chapter, verses two and three, he sets it up. And we rule and reign with him as he was ruling and reigning in our hearts while we were on the earth prior to the rapture because he's our true treasure. He is our treasure. We put him first. We put others first. We don't reverse the order. You know, when you put God first and you put others first, he will take care of your family in a way that you couldn't even imagine and I couldn't even imagine, ever. But we must seek first. And, and that's what he was teaching them. Jesus was teaching his Jewish disciples about millennial reign that would come thousands of years in the future. But he rules and reigns us right now as his heavenly people with a love that's so incredible. You know, he loves us with a love in terms of how he loves us, where nothing disturbs or distracts us. But he has to bring us to a proper place to remove all these other things so that we experience in an exchange that love life again. And when we experience it, nothing disturbs or distracts us in the equal of the love that we receive from him and give back to him through the submission of our will and obedience. And we'll close with this last thing. In measure, in measure, in measure, in 1 John 2, 12 to 14, even the babes know enough about his love that they're forgiven. They know they're forgiven their sins. Babes. Boy, I hope there's a lot of older Christians that have learned that, that your sins are forgiven. All of us, and then we, we're learning it all together. Again, I with you and you with me. All of us together. There's babes and there's young men and there's spiritual dads. We're learning about this love. The word of life man, the word of love, and the word of a love life man, Jesus Christ, enthroned in our hearts, enthroned in our hearts so that we can be free, 
to see how he sees us with a love, a love life exchange that nothing can disturb or distract that will set us free for Christ to live in us enthroned and to live for others. Thank you, Lord, so much for your love, your deep love this morning. The depth of your love. Who you are in your person, what you went through, and what you accomplished so that we could experience that love life that you have with the Father. And thank you in that love life you've given us a Father and John 20 and verse 17 and Romans 8 and verse 15 and 16 and Galatians 4, 6 and 7. You have given us a loving Father. His love sets us so free that now he can use us to be servants to others. I mean, everything about our material substance will be used for that in the right way when it's not the flesh. And oh, Father, I just pray for myself and for others. And I don't feed the flesh, but that I, flee, I feed inwardly the man who's in Christ and Christ in that man. Thank you so much, God, for your love this morning. Thank you that you never remove your eye from the righteous in Job 36 and verse 7. And that you're always waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18, the gracious out experientially now. And I pray again, and I myself and others with me, that we will let the word of Christ find a home in us. To settle down and be at rest. To rest, to cause us to rest in that love of which he desires to settle down in us and rest with him and be free to be servants in Colossians 3 and verse 16. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.